What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 14 of Dime Dropper, coming to you from Los Angeles, California, as always. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well as YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, and follow us on Spotify as well as, most importantly, on Instagram and Twitter at Dime Dropper Pod. So, guys, sorry I haven't been consistent with what I said I was going to do, which was one episode after each GSL game. Quite frankly, before yesterday, and honestly, I don't really think yesterday changes much, I believe that this is probably the worst final series that we've had <laughs> ever, or in, in my lifetime for sure, and I mean, I would only think that worst finals could be ones where all the games weren't even filmed, because no fans mixed with the lopsided uh, series that this is, and the injuries that have made it more lopsided than... You know, a lot of people thought the Lakers would sweep or win in five um, before the injuries. I didn't, obviously. You heard my pick. It was Lakers in six, and I did give the Heat a chance to win the series, which I feel pretty confident about saying that still, um, except for the fact that Bam and uh, Goran Dragic got injured, and that completely changed the whole ball game. So because I haven't been making episodes, I'm just going to quickly recap some of the action. Starting with game one, I thought it was a really interesting game. The Heat came out in the first couple of minutes with like this, here we are, y'all playing us now, this is going to be real. And then LeBron came out of the game, and all of a sudden, there was this run with AD and Rondo's lineup where the whole game completely turned on its head. And it was kind of like the Lakers pushed back, and the Heat were, like, rattled at every moment. Like, they looked like, even though there's no crowd, even though there's no pressure, so to speak, as opposed to with the crowd, they looked like, oh, I'm not ready for the finals, like... I'm still too young for this moment. Guys like Duncan Robinson looked rattled. Guys like Tyler Hero looked rattled. Everyone started to look rattled after the Lakers made that first punch, and they just knocked them right out because the Heat had no response. Besides Jimmy Butler, who seemed like the only person in the game that, and Iguodala, who finished with 7, 5, and 6 in that game one, that seemed like they, you know, had been in that situation. Um, I think the Heat also just went cold during that stretch, and the Lakers started hitting everything. And when I mean everything, I mean everything. Every single role player, and with the exception of like Danny Green, who's been consistently pretty poor shooting the ball throughout the whole playoffs, every single player on the Lakers, the role players, I feel like they're starting to hit more threes with each series that we play. And it's just unbelievable that that's happening because, you know, these guys have been inconsistent shooter. The Lakers' weakness has been three-point shooting for most of the season, and for the role players to be hitting, and such timely shots, too. I mean, that first game was a three-point barrage by the Lakers. Even though they only finished 15-38, to 38, that's 39.5%. That's almost 40% as a team. And one of those guys who I think has been shooting better than he's ever shot in his entire career is Markeith Morris. Ever since game two of that Rocket series, the dude has just been lights out from deep, and He's a very he's been an inconsistent shooter over the last couple of years and that's been such a huge boost for the Lakers cuz we know he's got that defensive side of him and he's tough but for him to knock down threes and you got to give Rondo and LeBron a lot of credit they have made him better. Um but yeah, the Heat they just went cold. They just didn't have any response. They seemed rattled and the Lakers never looked back. I thought AD was exceptional in that game with 34-9-5 and on 11-21, 10 of 10 from the line. I thought despite the stats, LeBron was very average in game one, and he was padding his stats at the end of the game, going off when there was like little to nothing left to do. But overall, he did his job. They won the game. Therefore, he had a solid game. His stats are 25 points, 13 boards, and 9 assists. 
and 9 of 17 from the field. Once again, it looks fantastic, but I watched the game, and I don't think he was all that. Um, but don't worry. If you think that he can't win with me, just wait a second. Um, but yeah, great opening game for the Lakers in that one. Um, but then game two, the Heat obviously got the blow that Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic weren't going to play. And obviously that made a lot of us believe that the series is over before it even started. Like this is just done, um, you know, sweep, which is what I was going with. And if I had made an episode after game one, that's what I would have told you. And uh, I wasn't surprised to see AD come out aggressive. Actually, he wasn't even that aggressive to start game two. It was LeBron who really set the tone. And in my opinion, with this game, I thought it was a great performance by the Lakers. But the Heat, they they fight so hard and they're so well coached. You know, they're never just going to lay over and die. And that starts from the top, once again, as we talked about, with your attitude for your team starts from the top oftentimes. And Jimmy Butler... He's really just shown he's not going to go down without a fight. He's always going to try. But this Laker team, and that Heat team played pretty decent in, in Game 2. I mean, they shot 51% from the field. They shot 41% from 3. But it just seemed as though the Lakers had too much star power. And more importantly, the role players constantly made timely threes whenever the Lakers needed them. Every single time. I mean, you got a guy like Caruso, who's been unbelievable in this entire postseason, with his defense, and the grit plays, and the little things that he does, but now he's starting to hit threes, in game two, he had six points on two of four from three, so when Caruso's starting to hit threes, and, um, you know, KCP and D DG didn't have great games in games one and two, but uh, here's the thing about Danny Green, so I've seen a lot of slander on his name, and a lot of it is deserved, especially with how much the Lakers are paying him, I think he's definitely overpaid, but one thing you got to realize is, it is not coincidence that Danny Green is about to become a champion for the third time, and he's been a starter on all those teams. Like, if Danny Green was so, so bad, how do you think the teams win without him? Because, yes, he shot better in San Antonio, but last year, even though in Toronto he was a little better shooting the ball in the playoffs, he had some horrendous games where he was bricking everything. So let me ask, what, what does Danny Green do that warrants him being on the court? I'll tell you. He always plays decent defense. I don't think he's a great defender. He's a good defender. He never takes stupid, or I shouldn't say never, but he rarely takes stupid shots. He takes some shots where it's like, I've noticed one of the main shots he takes that I don't like is when he gets the ball, he's thinking about shooting, he pump fakes, and the guy doesn't bite, and then he still shoots it, and it usually always misses. And it's because, you know, he hesitates, you second guess yourself, and then you shoot the ball as a shooter. That's That shot's usually not going in, and he always misses, and I don't like when he takes it. Sometimes he can overestimate how much space he has on a catch and shoot and shoot the three but other than that he doesn't bite off more than he can chew usually like for example when KCP used to get all the slander from Laker fans back in the 2018 season and then parts of last season he had a problem of doing way too much taking horrible shots you know being a net negative I don't think Danny Green is a net negative no matter how much you guys want to talk about his poor shooting at the end of the day he takes good shots he keeps the defense honest and he spaces the floor and plays defense no matter what so just to have seasoned vets that don't get rattled by the moment and can often... And nothing about Danny Green. He hits timely shots sometimes. I think there will be more of shots that he hits in this series that will be timely. Because if you remember in Game 5 against Denver, the Nuggets were making one last push. And the Lakers were up by like four points. And Danny Green had a good look from the top of the key. Three ball, made it a seven-point game. Lakers never looked back. So I think as Laker fans, you guys got to understand... That it just it is more than just missing open threes. He does do things that don't go in the stat sheet. Just spacing the floor, you know, playing decent defense. It's not a coincidence that you guys are going to win a championship with him. And all these, I see fans saying he's got to go. 
I mean, hypothetically, if you could get a upgrade for, an upgrade for him, or you can just let him go and start Avery Bradley and KCP next year. I don't think that would be a problem, but I don't think it's that serious. I think that if you win a championship, you're entitled to return on that team, especially if you're a starter on that team. Um, but anyway, as for that game too, I thought the Heat did a great job of fighting. They kept putting pressure on the Lakers, but I think the Lakers were extremely impressive in the sense that, especially as you saw with us, with the Clippers, is teams are going to make runs. Teams are going to make pushes. Teams are going to hang around. But to be able to not let your guard down, to be able to not collapse, to be able to not let the team get within two possessions, get within single digits for a long period of time, to keep them at bay, to keep them at a double-digit disadvantage is, is very hard to do in this league. And I think the Lakers did an amazing job of consistently making timely shots. And I think that Dwight Howard has been amazing defensively. Um, I think Rondo has been unbelievable. I mean, in this game too, 16 points. Four rebounds, 10 assists, one turnover, five of nine from the field. And Kuzma chipping in with 11 as well. I mean, I cannot say enough about Rondo, and he's just done such a great job. And I think LeBron, let's go to LeBron for a second. I think LeBron has done one of his most, I mean, you've heard who's the GOAT. You've heard all the things I said about how he doesn't make certain guys better. But I think with this particular team and the point guard role that he has taken up, taken up I think LeBron has had one of his best seasons as a leader that he's ever had. I think that this team's personnel is so built perfectly for him because when he's had the superstar second guy like a Kyrie Irving or Dwayne Wade, they've always been guards. And it's not too easy to have a ball-dominant guy that plays a lot on the perimeter uh, to play with his second guy being a a fairly ball-dominant guard in himself like D-Wade or Kyrie Irving. Having a big man as his guy that he can run pick and rolls with, that he can throw the ball in the post to, and plays different spots of the floor than he does, I think is an even better luxury. As I said in one of my, I don't remember what episode, but as a little guy, you know, one of my favorite things to do is play with a big guy, play with a big target that's going to be around the basket that I can, you know, throw a high pass and he can still catch the ball. And LeBron has that with Anthony Davis. And I think it's the best, not the best player he's played with, because I'm not going to disrespect Dwayne Wade like that, but the best player that he's played with in terms of the chemistry between the two of them. And I think that LeBron has done a great job of giving these guys confidence. The KCPs, the Carusos, keep shooting it. Markeith, keep shooting it. You know, sometimes I think LeBron doesn't uh, always pick the best times, whether to be aggressive and whether to be passive. But I think that with this Laker team, especially in the beginning of this game too, he was he was making some plays where I'm like, LeBron, shoot the ball. He'd given it to KCP, but then KCP would score off that pass. And I'm like, man, maybe that was, that was a good pass then. And that confidence is just spreading throughout the team. And I think that's part of the reason why these Laker players have been hitting more threes um, and the role players have stepped up offensively with each round. I think LeBron has kept the faith in them and he hasn't gone strictly assist pass as much as, as much as he has in the past. And I think a big part of that is Rondo because Rondo, LeBron, you know, he didn't really utilize Rondo too well this regular season and Rondo didn't do much to gain his trust. But what he's doing now is, I've seen LeBron let Rondo bring the ball up. Something I haven't seen LeBron do much unless he was playing with a Kyrie. And even then, sometimes, he was a little stingy with it. And letting Rondo bring the ball up, playing off the ball. And I think as I think that helps LeBron so much because I've said in my Who's the Goat, he is poor off the ball relative to a lot of great players. He's very stag- static and stagnant. But I love what he's been doing in this series. When Rondo's gone the ball, he's actually tried to go in the post. He's tried to play off the ball because he knows Rondo can make those great passes at the rim, those lot passes over defenders. And from doesn't matter if it's from half court or from the three-point line. I mean, you see this guy Rondo throwing half court passes, alley-oops to, to AD from, from, yeah, from half. And I so... Once again, I think LeBron has done a magnificent 
job with this particular team and making a lot of the players better. Outside of Kuzma, who I think that the Lakers could still do a better job of getting shots, I think he could be averaging around 15 points a game if they tried to incorporate him a little more. But hey, the Lakers are about to win the championship. You can't have everyone happy sometimes. And for the most part, all that matters is the end result. So I think that outside of Kuz, LeBron and the boys are doing an amazing job. LeBron and Rondo particularly. And Anthony Davis. Let's not forget... It's not just about who's making players better offensively. Last year, the Lakers had LeBron, KCP, and JaVale McGee in their starting lineup. What's the main difference this year? And obviously, Avery Bradley doesn't count because he's not in the GSL right now. What's the main difference that the Lakers look like one of the best defensive teams in the league? Frank Vogel, of course, but mainly Anthony Davis. I mean, he's such an anchor. He is so good at defending in today's NBA. You don't want to put him in the pick and roll because he's so long. He can switch on to anyone. You just kind of like, especially for me, when we were playing the Lakers, um, as when I was watching the games as a Clipper fan, I want the Clips to go as far away from AD when they have the ball as possible. Like, if he's on the other side of the court... Like, if he's on the weak side, keep the ball on the strong side. Like, do not get this guy involved in the play, involved in the point of action and the point of attack, because this guy, if he's got his hands around the situation, if he's contesting shots, I mean, he just, he makes the right rotations, he takes charges, he can switch on the guards. He is just the anchor of this defensive team. Dwight Howard has also been great as well, but that's infectious. That carries over a guy that you don't want to put in pick and roll is so effective in today's NBA. Because even a guy like Kawhi, you know, you put him in the pick and roll, he's still like a wing. AD is the type of guy that's a rim protector, and he can guard your guard. So Anthony Davis has helped made everybody better on the defensive end, LeBron and Rondo on the offensive end. I think this was actually one of LeBron's best ever games in the playoffs. And you might think that's crazy. You know, he's had those 50-point game against Golden State, all this. There's a difference. It's not about the best stats. It's not about how hot he gets. Once again, my evaluation of a player is, do you do what is needed in the moment that, the, that it's needed? Do you recognize your situation? And in this game, game two of the finals, or the GSL finals, LeBron was magnificent. 33 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, 14 of 25 from the field, and the most important statistic of all, 0 turnovers. I think he was making the right basketball pass. I think that he was carving that zone apart like a turkey because I think if you put LeBron at the high post, it's so effective because he's such a great passer and he's good at getting the ball. He can shoot the mid-range. He can go to the rim. He can attack. He's probably, and I'd say, I still have to watch in the evolution of basketball, but I would assume drive and kick, he's the GOAT. I mean, he is the best I've ever seen at the drive and kick. He's so strong, he can make passes long distance, and he puts his head down, he can still make a pass as he's going full speed downhill. He's so great at that, and I think that he was awesome in the, in the and it's crazy to think that in the 2011 finals, a 2-3 zone is what kind of did LeBron and the Heat in, and I'm surprised that, maybe he did, but I'm pretty sure he didn't, that Le- Eric Spolster didn't go with LeBron at the high post, because I don't think he's effective from the top of the zone at all, and I see it when the Lakers went for periods of this game with LeBron at the top, they don't get the same shots with him just kind of passing from the top, get him in the high post between the defense, between the D, and he can start making plays and carving them apart from the inside, and it's interesting, I don't know why the Heat didn't go there, I think maybe because the league was a little bigger back then, and you wouldn't have LeBron playing so big, you'd have LeBron playing more of a, more of a guard role, than a, because you know, in 2011, we still had real big men, like, power forwards, like you had Dirk Nowitzki and Tyson Chandler in that series, so that's a little bit different than going up against Bam Adebayo or Kelly Olynyk and a bunch of wings, um, so yeah, 
I think it's, uh, that was very impressive. And AD was incredible in the second half as well, just going off. I mean, 15 out of 20 from the field, 32 and 14. Guys making a finals MVP campaign for himself. But yesterday, on Sunday, we had a shock, ladies and gentlemen. A big one. What looked like a runaway series, a sweep, turned into Lakers in five. I'm sorry, Miami. I'm I was I loved seeing the performance yesterday. I loved seeing the fight, the heart, the organization, the intensity on the defensive end for 48 minutes, and most importantly, the incredible performance by Jimmy G Buckets. The G stands for gets, as Stacey King from the Chicago Bulls used to say. The man played inspired basketball. And this guy, Jimmy Butler, man, I'm running out of superlatives to run up run run. I'm running out of superlatives to say for him because you've been listening to my episodes, guys, and I've been talking about how underrated this guy is and how he's leading by example. And remember what I said? He may not be the most skilled offensive player, but he needs to show that he can score a little at a higher level, that he can score on anyone. Well, that's exactly what he's doing in this series. He is showing us that this whole time against Boston, against Milwaukee, he could have gone off for 25 points whenever he wanted. But because he understands what getting your teammates involved to a different degree is, Letting Goran Dragic get off. Letting Bam run the point a bit. Letting Tyler get off. That's what the best leaders of this game do. And that means he could turn it on and be the scorer whenever he wants. And his performance yesterday was one of the best ones I've ever seen. That was a we ain't getting swept performance. That was a give me one game do not get embarrassed performance, a la Allen Iverson in 2001. And that is exactly why I say if Jimmy Butler can get a game off the Lakers without Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo, then why can't LeBron James get a game in 2018? Why couldn't he get a game in 2007? And it's not just LeBron James. It's other stars that have been swept in the finals as well. Okay? The same applies for Kareem and Magic in 1983. Same thing. You know, if you are that great of a player... You do not get swept in the finals. That doesn't happen, especially not twice. That's why that held, That's why the thing is with Magic and Kareem, it happened one time, and that, that's an amazing team. Happened to LeBron against two amazing teams too, but it's happened twice. And part of it's because he kind of just gave up in Game 4 of 2018, which everyone likes to forget. But Jimmy Butler wanted to get a game, and he got his game. 40 points, 11 boards, and the most incredible of all, 13 assists. I mean, some of the passes he was making, bounce passes, kickouts, full speed, turning his body. It was unbelievable. He was making all the right plays. He was getting everyone good shots. Jay Crowder had a decent game, 5 of 12 with 12 points. I thought Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, though, are the reason why this series isn't, it could be 2-1 Miami right now. And a part of the reason why I don't, that if, if the Heat have, have to, if the Heat want a chance to make this a real series, and we don't know the availability of, of Bam and Goran Dragic for next game, but let's say they do play, that's a huge energy and momentum boost for Miami. To come off this win that shocked everybody, and to get those two back, if they do tie this series 2-2, wow, we are in for an actual series. But this... The thing about Duncan Robinson is, I think the Lakers have, have clearly made a very concerted effort to limit him, to make everything tough for him, to not get him good looks coming off screens, and I think they've done a brilliant job of it, and I think Duncan's gone rattled, and he's starting to rush his shots, and they just haven't been looking good. He was 4 for 12 yesterday, 3 of 10 from 3 with 13 points. I don't think that was his best game. I don't think he was bad, but I just think that if he starts to make shots like he had in previous rounds, 
it's going to help a lot. But part of that is the Laker defense. However, Tyler Hero has not been much of the Lakers' defense that he's been missing. I think he's just literally been missing shots that he's made all playoff long. And it's really annoying because Tyler, you know, I, I even said, uh, I was thinking, like, if the Heat win, you think any chance Tyler Hero wins finals MVP? Which is kind of hilarious looking back at it now. It didn't age very well. But I don't think Tyler played poorly last night because I love the confidence he has that even when he's cold to keep shooting the ball. But he doesn't do too much, and that's what I love. It's, you know, he doesn't always settle. The guy's a great finisher around the rim, as I said in my previous episodes. Really good for this era in that department. Finishes with both hands beautifully. And I think Tyler, if he could just start hitting like he was in previous rounds, and that's why I say it's different, because Duncan Robinson, I see what the Lakers are doing. They're making life really tough for him. Tyler's just been missing some easy ones. Open threes, uh, open mid-ranges. So, and, and I even saw him, I'm pretty sure, miss a layup the other day. So Tyler Hero, if he starts hitting, and I hope that win gives him confidence. Of course, everyone's talking about that, you know, the face he made and stuff. By the way, I'm so happy I'm still off Twitter because, I don't know, every time I seem to just go on there and check it out for a bit, I deleted the app off my phone, so sometimes I just go on my computer. Man, it's stressful, but I need to get back on there after the season to try to push my content, push my brand. It's just annoying because there's so many dumb people on Twitter that I see. Um, I can't imagine how the NBA players actually feel about it. But um, Kelly Olynyk was also a bright spot yesterday. Five and nine, three of five from three, 17 and seven. And a lot of those shots came from Jimmy Butler's assists. So I think Jimmy Butler was incredible. Historic performance. Let's not get swept mentality. But overall, I think that the Lakers kind of took the game for granted. And I don't think they were extremely lazy. But obviously, Danny Green was up to his old stuff. 0 of 6 from the field. KCP, 1 of 5. So that's two poor shooting games in a row for those two. Um, But... I think the Lakers really wasted a great performance, two great performances from Markeith Morris and Kyle Kuzma. 19 points to eat for the two of them, and they made some really timely shots. 5 of 11 from 3 for Markeith, 4 of 8 for Kuz, and the Lakers, and it's not the Lakers really, it's AD and LeBron really just let this bypass them. Because once again, I thought LeBron was good in the first half, but in the second half, he was abysmal. I mean, the turnovers were just, I mean, he had eight assists and he had eight turnovers. That's a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. That's atrocious. And then 25 points, 10 boards, and once again, these rebounds, guys. This is why I hope that just because he averages like a rebound or two more than AD, I really hope that if it comes down to it, that's not the difference maker in the finals MVP thing. Because, guys, these rebounds are so easy. They're open rebounds. They're not contested. Like, when was the last... People don't even box out anymore. Just pay attention to it. When was the last time you, like, saw someone get a good rebound? Like, it happens, like, five times in a game. Like, these rebounds are just, okay, cool, good for you. But it's not that impressive. It's not. It just comes to them, and they prefer LeBron to get the ball to run the break anyway. So, those rebounds don't do anything for me. He's amazing at getting them. He's mastered it. Doesn't matter. It made no difference in the end result last night. Because they're just misses. Someone's going to get the rebound. There's four Lakers and five guys around the perimeter for Miami. So I thought LeBron was really poor, very careless with his turnovers, took some some weird shots, and did not get Anthony Davis the ball enough in the fourth quarter. Same goes for Rondo. For guys so experienced, what is up with that? I think AD got some harsh calls on him, uh, like one or two harsh calls. He got in foul trouble early. But Anthony Davis himself was not good enough either, not close to good enough. When You know, Jay Crowder's guarding this guy for the majority of the game. Do you know what that should be? That should be, let me get this on the block. Let me get in the mid post every time down and torch you until you double me. Like, I saw this one play, one of the shots. I mean, the guy was six for nine. He wasn't shooting poorly at all. He, but nine shots? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to call you the best player in basketball, dude. You're, trying, you're shooting nine times? That's not doing it. 
That's not doing it for me. That's not going to do it for your team. And this is why I also say that I think AD is the best player on this team. Because even though LeBron played better last night, what happens when AD doesn't play well? And what happens when AD plays the best on the court? The Lakers always win. And Charles Barkley said it best. AD is going to have to be the best player if the Lakers win. He is just that dude that when he's unstoppable, he, this is my thing, he scores in a different way than LeBron. LeBron will come down, he hits his layup, he hits his jumper, but he scores like sporadically throughout the game. He's not, he doesn't have a scorer's mentality that like, all right, I'm going to just keep scoring on you till you double me. And AD at times has that type of, type of toast type of moments. And I honestly think based on the way that he's bounced back in every single poor game he's had in the GSL playoffs, that he's going to come back and be dominant in the next game. And I think the Lakers will win it. But that doesn't excuse this poor performance from him. He needs to be aggressive. And he, I remember there was one play in the second half where he got the ball in the mid post, did exactly what I'm saying. One dribble, turn around baseline, over the right shoulder, jumper, cash. So simple. Quick, one dribble, turn around. Like, okay, you're not getting it on the block. I guess that's not your game. But your mid post game, your turnaround from 15, your 15 footer is money, your 12 footer, it's money. So, Make life easier for yourself, especially in this freedom of movement era. I saw a play, I think it was in the third quarter, where AD was trying to get to his spot, trying to go to the block, and Jay Crowder was kind of just standing in his path, not, you know, blocking his freedom of movement, and they called a foul. So if they're going to call those type of fouls where, like, you're just allowed to go wherever you are on the court, you better be going to get the ball every time that fool's guarding you. He's like 6'7", bro. Like, that's what I mean by this lack of killer instinct in players sometimes. Like, you got, you got to go kill them. This is the finals. And I think it's on LeBron and Rondo to an extent in that fourth quarter. I remember it was 97 to 105. And um, they gave it to AD. He had the ball. He got doubled. Kicked it out to Markeith. And the Lakers broke their scoring drought. And Markeith hit a three. And I was thinking to myself, like, just give it to AD for these last two, three minutes. Good things are going to happen. And the next time down, AD also just hit a shot before that. Next time down, Rondo and LeBron come back. They don't even give him the ball. They don't look at him. That's not good. That's not good floor general on both of them. And, you know, LeBron and Rondo are some of the best high IQ players we have in the game today. And that's just poor. And AD, it's all it's on all of them. But, you know, you got to give the Heat credit. They stayed alive. They I don't think they really made this a series, but they made it so that they didn't get embarrassed, and I really applaud them for that. Jimmy Butler. Um, by the way, guys, so to end on that, on the on the finals, uh, I probably will make an episode. I'll probably make an episode after episode four. Let me know, though, guys. Do you want me to make an episode after episode four, or do you want me to just come back after the Lakers win in five, which was likely going to happen? So let me know, guys. Remember, I didn't get any feedback from the last episode. Please keep giving it to me. I want to keep improving. I want to know what you guys are thinking. I want to know if you guys are listening, who's listening, and all that good stuff. So please, like, text me right now, or if you're going to finish the episode in a couple minutes, text me immediately. Hit me on all platforms or whatever platform. Um... Other than that, yeah, I'm going to make a video like right after I, I talked a lot about my plans for the podcast in the offseason. One of my videos I'm going to make, it's going to be with with highlights. It's going to be the top 10 players in the NBA right now, as of this season, as of 2020, who were finished in my top 10, who just missed out on the cut. I'm going to be waiting for the season to end, obviously, to release that, and I will be releasing it. And just letting you all know right now, Jimmy Butler is going to be higher than you think he's going to be because... That dude is showing me what matters, and that's what and w- playing when it matters, and showing me the right attitude. So I don't care about all that natural talent. I don't care that he went to junior college. His mentality, his mindset, his leadership skills, and his skill. I mean, I love his. And this is another thing. My uh, Rami that we had on episode two pointed this out. He said he had forty points, and I don't think he shot one three in the entire game, which 
shows you, yep, he didn't shoot one three, which shows you you don't need to be an amazing three-point shooter to be a great scorer in any era, even in this era. Ben Simmons, the reason why he sucks, or I mean, that's harsh, you know, you know what I mean, is because he's not even a threat to shoot the ball past the foul line. That's the thing. You need to, Being a threat to shoot is one whole step of the ball game, one whole piece of it. And Jimmy Butler, I love when he goes in, stops on a dime, pivots, turns, and fades in the mid-range area. It seems so cash. It seems high percentage. And it's just a great move. He can stop on a dime, pivot, turn, pull. It's beautiful. And I loved seeing him go to work with it last night. 14 of 20. That's called taking smart shots. 70%. Um, But yeah, I think the Lakers are straight. I think nothing to panic Laker fans. But also, I want to say this about Laker fans. Um, I don't want to see... I really, I'm, I really don't want to see any more of this bullshit where you entitled-ass motherfuckers post about what teams you had in the 2010s. Like, man, we really went from Ryan Kelly to, and Kendall Marshall to, to this, man. The struggle. Do you know how ridiculous you sound? You know, before this last period, the Lakers in Los Angeles had never missed the playoffs for consecutive seasons ever. So because you had five horrendous years, some of which nobody really even cared because they were still celebrating Kobe's last couple of years. So just seeing him on the court was a treat in itself, despite how banged up he was. And last year, where you still had LeBron James, which even though he disappointed you, is not a season to be miserable about constantly. Uh, For Laker expectations it is, which goes to prove my point that you guys are the most... one entitled, but just spoiled to the to the brim uh, in great basketball and greatness over the years. So you want to talk about five years of bullshit? Dude, the Sacramento Kings have been ass for 15 years. The Minnesota Timberwolves were ass for 14 years. The Clippers were ass for like 36 years and they still haven't gotten out of the second round. And the Pelicans, the Hornets, all these teams. And you want to talk about Kendall Marshall and Ryan Kelly and Robert Sacre and think you guys went through some fucking struggle? Y'all still have the history to refer to. You have statues of fucking Hall of Fame players outside the Staples Center. I don't give a shit about five bad years. You sound like entitled fools. You sound like the guy that's gotten every girl your whole life, and then you go single for two years, and you're in a drought, and then you're like, oh, I got no bitches. Get the fuck out of here, man. Y'all sound ridiculous. Stop talking to me about that shit. You know what? You can say it's crazy that we went from that to this so quick. But to say, man, you, uh, where were the real Laker fans out? Y'all were here for the struggle. Bruh, you guys are such garbage, man. Garbage. Spoiled. It's so easy to be a Laker fan. It's like the easiest thing ever. I could just talk, be a Laker fan right now and talk to you about how fucking great our history is and how about Magic's the greatest player to touch a basketball and that Kobe's the most skilled player of all time and Kareem is the best center to ever play the game and Shaq's the most dominant. It's, it's so easy, right? I could just keep going on. Oh, we're so good. Best fans, biggest fan base, best stadium. Clippers suck. It's so easy, guys. It's so easy. So... Chill with that, with that, uh, look, we're starting from the bottom, now we're here, nonsense. You, everybody, you finally faced what every single fan base in the entire NBA has felt for longer. <laughs> so, chill with that shit. Um, on other sports, uh, actually, no, now we're gonna, oh, actually, I'm gonna talk really briefly about the Philadelphia 76ers hiring our boy, Glenn Rivers. Uh, good for Glenn, he got the job. Um, I think it's hilarious because I just don't think that this, this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome to see them fail miserably because I love Tobias Harris, but and I really like Joel Embiid, but I'm sorry, 
uh, I can't root for you guys with Doc. I really just want Glenn to, to fail, and I want everyone to realize how bad he was. They're not going to make it past the second round. That's my prediction. They're not making it past the second round. He has a very not motivated group of players in Philadelphia, and I don't think he's as great at motivating him as everyone thinks. Will they be better than with Brett Brown? Yeah, I think so. He's a better coach than Brett Brown, but I don't think they're getting past the second round personnel-wise and because he's going to get out-tacticked by better coaches. So that's it for Philly. You can be all excited all you want. You ain't getting out of the second round. Ben, you can, you know, at me on that one. Uh, now we're going to end it off with some listener questions. Um, the first question comes from Eli Jones off of Instagram. And he asked, who's going to have a big year two? And my answer to that is I think the obvious answers are John Morant's going to continue to grow and be amazing. And Tyler Hero is going to continue to grow and be amazing. Uh, I think Tyler will have a great year next season, even better than this year. And I, I think that he could. No, nah, never mind. I was going to say he could end up in the starting lineup. I doubt it because this team is just so deep. And I think Duncan does good things for them starting. But um, I think Brandon Clark from the Memphis Grizzlies is going to be one to watch. I think that, and not Zion. No, I don't trust him. So he's not the one I'm picking. I think uh, Brandon Clark, because I've heard a lot of good things about him. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies did really well for reasons other than John Morant. It's not just him. So I think that I've heard a lot of good things about him, and I've seen some great glimpses of him. So I think that he's going to have a great year too. And I think that somebody I really hope to see have a great year too and get some more playing time next season is Terrence Mann from the Clippers. Uh, he had some some moments this season where he got playing time, and I loved his defensive intensity. I loved his energy. He looked hungry. You know, that's the thing about some of these young players is like they don't have that entitlement. They don't have that comfort that they're going to play every game, that they have a great contract. They're still fighting to get minutes. They're still fighting to get a contract. So Terrence Terrence Mann, like players with that kind of hunger, we need. We don't need Reggie Jackson entitled, already made $15 million, just like, you know, not trying out there. Or Lou Williams, that's not trying out there on defense, not boxing out. I like Terrence Mann, and I really hope to see him become our new backup point guard. And I think that he's going to be a sophomore that, because he's on such a relevant team in the Clippers, that if he gets his minutes, he will impress people, and he will be a guy that has a great year, too. So those are my answers. Brandon Clark, Terrence Mann, given the opportunity. Um, and then my other question I got is from uh, Tad Song. Tad asks, will you do a Dodgers baseball episode on the podcast? And the answer to that is, yeah, after the season ends in a couple of days, I will talk about other sports. I will talk about – I will do my occasional basketball episodes. I'm going to have guests on to talk about different things. Uh, a lot of them we're going to like – I'm going to, you know, be watch obviously, the evolution of basketball. So if you guys have noticed, my latest, my latest Instagram posts have been of, you know – Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, uh, 60s. And once the season ends, they will be almost exclusively to start of the 60s because it's the evolution of basketball. So as I'm going on, I'm going to show you guys what I'm learning. So I'm going to, as I'm learning, I'm, I'm going to try to teach you guys what I'm learning as we go on. So when we get to the 2000s and all that, we'll talk about that and I'll post about that. But in the beginning, it's going to be all 60s. Because that's the first great era of basketball, in my opinion, where it looks like the NBA we have today in terms of like race relations and like diversity on the court and stuff, uh, and competitiveness and and high level basketball. Uh, much to everyone's d belief that it's the actually the '80s, we're going to be debunking these things, but we're also going to be talking about other sports. So we're going to be talking about Premier League and soccer on a weekly basis, a little bit of football on the weekend. It's going to be more like a weekend report of soccer and football, and then of course we will be talking about the Dodgers postseason run because. Of course, it means a lot to me. We've been searching for this title for so long. It's, you know, it's been a drought in L.A. since 1988. So, you know, 
fingers crossed that this is the one, even though it's without fans, I mean, I am back in LA, that we do finally get the job done and do not choke. So I will likely be talking about it. And Dodgers versus Padres now. We got a little SoCal matchup going on here in the NLCS. So hopefully we kick their ass, go back to the NLCS, and then we'll see from there what happens, man. Hopefully we don't get cheated again. Shout out Mookie Betts. I'm already fucking with him. He's nice as hell. And it's awesome. Even better that we got him from Boston. So any Red Sox fans listening to this, ha, ha, ha. Um, so yeah, we will be talking about other sports, but we will still have our occasional basketball episodes. And when I do bring certain guests on to talk about other things, there I am going to, like I recently rewatched the 04 finals for the first, or I should say watched it for the first time with my friend just because we were like, you know what? We should watch a final series together. Why not? And then we should make a podcast about it, talking about it to not have this revisionist history kind of thing. We talk about it right after we watch it. So, yeah, it's fresh in our memories, and we can tell you guys what happened as if we were alive and old enough to really remember it. I know 04 is one where a lot of people remember, and it's very well documented what happened, but my friend and I and certain other friends that we watch will watch certain finals will give you a great breakdown and a great commentary and analysis on what went down since it's fresh in our minds and we just watched it. So we're going to have episodes like that. We're going to have a lot of history of basketball episodes, basically whatever I want, more YouTube content as well. Basically, this summer is going to be all about educating everybody, including myself, the history of the game, debunking misconceptions, and that's going to be our biggest thing. By the time we start next season, I want to be, I want everyone to know, I don't want any more Gen Z cucks listening to my stuff anymore. I want every, I can't, I cannot change your opinion on who you think is the go and who in this, but what I can do is make you see the facts, the truth about the game and its history. So to end it off, this comes from a YouTube comment uh, question. What do I think of the Warriors and their future and how they'll fare next season? So I haven't really talked about the Golden State Warriors much on this podcast, on Dime Dropper so far in my first 13 episodes, except for who's the GOAT when we talked about him a bit. But I will say this. The Warriors are going... I don't... I, uh, I, have, I was a big, actually, fan of their team in 2013 when they were first bursting onto the scene with Steph and David Lee and Jarrett Jack and I was like and Clay of course and I was one of the main people that was like this Warriors team should be good now like if Curry can stay healthy they should be good and I really enjoyed watching them you know beat Denver that year and then of course they had to run into us the next year and I was at all the home games for that series when we beat them and then you know it started to become kind of a little rivalry with the Clippers and the Warriors and it be kind of it kind of became that the Warriors were that young up-and-coming team that the Clippers were supposed to be that won championships, and they kind of took that away from us. I thought we were going to be the next team that went to you know the finals and won a championship, but it ended up being the Warriors, and there's definitely a lot of bitterness and jealousy for that, and of course with the rivalry and stuff like that, and obviously the Northern California beef, because you know I'm a Dodger fan through and through, and I hate the Giants probably more than any sports team, so just that Northern California, Southern California rivalry also contributed to it. So, no, I don't like the Warriors at all. However, I love Stephen Curry. I, I I like Stephen Curry. The only reason I don't love him is because I don't like, as I said, I just don't like the Warriors much. But he is the greatest, I think one of the greatest role models that we have in the game today. And I don't mean, oh, so you want everyone to just chuck threes? I thought you hated that. No. I mean, the way he carries himself, the way he talks, how loyal he is to his organization. He's going to be a warrior for life. He never complains and bitches too much. Like, there's a difference between complaining for calls on occasion and then doing what LeBron does, which is the extras, the talking to the refs constantly, looking at the ref every time you miss a layup, like, different things like that. Stephen Curry is so 
you know, I can't find a bad thing to say about him. He always says the right things. He just plays the game. Everyone, a lot of LeBron fans and certain people, like Kyrie fans, want to say he's soft. He's a three-point shooting fairy, this and that. He is a product of his environment. He does nothing extra. He just plays the game. And his dad grew up and played, or should I say, played in the 90s. He's tough-minded. He was raised the right way. I have a ton of respect for Curry. And Klay Thompson, who's one of my favorite players in the NBA, he's got the killer instinct. He is a sniper. He's a big-game player. He's a loyal player. He's not going to leave the Warriors either. I got the pleasure of meeting him in the Nobu bathroom during my dad's birthday. <laughs> and what a great guy, man. Klay Thompson, uh, my best friend's aunt. Was really good friends with the Thompson family at one point. My parents had the pleasure of meeting the Thompsons, and Clay Tom and said such such great people, great family. I used to watch Michael Thompson, uh, Clay's older brother, play at Pepperdine too with Asher that we had on the playoff preview. I love Clay Thompson, man. He's a great guy. He was great to meet, and I really am excited to see him back on the court. And then, of course, I've talked about Draymond Green, who I just think gets it and understands what it takes to win and gives no fucks about the stats. I just think that he's the negative product of his environment. Like he complains and does a little too much for my liking. But that being said, now that the Warriors are kind of turning back into the old Warriors, where before KD, I think they're going to have a lot of people rooting for them again. And especially after this season, they're going to be a team that everybody wants to see get back in the playoffs. And even I want to see them get back in the playoffs. I think that they're a fun team, and I think that they're going to be a challenge. And I think that the future is bright. I think personally, though, with this pick and Andrew Wiggins, it's going to be interesting to see what the, what the Warriors do. Can Andrew Wiggins be a better version of a Harrison Barnes back in 2016? He does some similar things, but he's very inconsistent. So it's going to be very interesting to see that and what route they go during the draft. Uh, I think the Warriors are a surefire lock for the playoffs next season, and I think they're a surefire contender for the whole thing. Uh, I think Warriors fans should be very excited about that. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see how Steph and Clay come back, but their games aren't predicated too much on athleticism. So I feel as though that they're going to come back and be as great as they always were. I think Draymond, Draymond Green on all the smoke was saying, I'm trying to get my three-pointers back to 40%. If he can do that, now that the pressure is not going to be forcing... I mean, I think teams will still be game planning to let Draymond shoot a good amount, but it's not going to be the same as when KD was there when it's like you're begging Draymond to shoot because that just means that Clay, Steph, and KD are not shooting. So I think that defense is going to start respecting him a little more, and he's going to have to start making them pay and get back to shooting threes, not necessarily on the level that he was in 2016, but at least not be, you know, a guaranteed brick. But even that being said, forget about the threes. Draymond Green's impact will always be positive. However, no Iguodala, no Livingston. Those are two huge parts of the dynasty that they don't have anymore. Um, but my thing is this, and sorry for uh, the guy that asked the question. I think the Warriors, unless... With, with Stephen Curry as their best player, I think the Warriors are done winning championships. Now, I think some people are going to be like, what makes you want to say that? Well, I don't want to sound like a hater. I do think Stephen Curry, uh, obviously with the evolution of basketball, my opinion is still not fully relevant, so don't take this seriously, that seriously. But I do believe Stephen Curry, being the because he was the best player on a championship team consensus, that he is a top four, top three point guard to play the game. That going along with what he's done to change the game. So I can't take that away from him. However, if you look at that 2015 title, we know the injuries that occurred. He didn't play a starting point guard the entire playoff run. He dodged a bullet similarly to how, to, how the Lakers did this year in the conference finals with the Clippers not getting there, which I think would have been a tough series for him and the Warriors. Not saying that they would have lost. They would have won. But I just believe that his title, it's still, it's, it's a fully a title. It still counts. He did it. He showed he could win. But it's like, 
with those injuries, would he have won? And then the next year, of course, there's the suspension. So I think it all evens out because I truly believe that he would have won had Draymond not gotten suspended in 2016. But because of that, and he lost and had Game 7 at his own house and blew it. And then everybody wants to make excuses about the injuries last year. No, 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 no. He had five minutes to close the game out in a tie game. They were winning, actually, before when Clay got hurt. He had... Game three, he was phenomenal. He had like 50 points and they lost. He did everything he could. I have no problems with that. But game six, he had a chance to close the deal or, or to force a game seven. And if he had forced a game seven, then I would be saying, you know, maybe if Clay had played, the Warriors would have won. It's quite obvious with Durant, they would have won too. But that doesn't matter to me because, yeah, now that you... Now that you have a, without Kevin Durant, they're a normal championship contender, not some OP ass unfair team that you make in my 2K or my team and that can just run everyone off the court. So I think Steph had a chance to really prove himself last year when Clay, when KD went down and he failed. And I think everyone's going to just kind of look past it with the, with the excuses of the injuries. But Clay Thompson played in the majority of those games and they still lost. They lost game four with both of them and Clay played great. So I don't want to hear the excuses. So in my opinion, as great as Steph Curry is, I don't think he's ever going to win a championship again as the best player. That's just my opinion. I think because of, it's hard to win a championship as the best player as a point guard. It's really hard, especially when you're small. It's hard, as good of a scorer as he is, it's harder to get shots off for him late in games. When they blitz him on pick and rolls, I mean, what's he going to do? He doesn't have a mid-post game. He doesn't have a mid-range, you know, feed him in the mid-range area, everything's on the perimeter. So it's kind of easy to limit that sometimes and put bigger guys on him and make life tough. So as great as Stephen Curry is, I personally don't think he's ever going to win a championship again as the best player because in 2015, he got the luck. I, I don't know. It's going to be tough when the Lakers win this championship. I'd say this championship for the Lakers would be the easiest run I've ever seen. But the Warriors, like, for example, I think that the... Uh, Western Conference Finals against the Rockets was easier than the Lakers against the Nuggets. However, they had to go on the road, so there's a lot of different avenues you can go. Regardless, before this 2020 uh, season that's been really awful, um, that 2015 Warriors team got the easiest road to the finals in the championship I've ever seen. Uh, 07 Spurs was pretty easy as well because they only had one real series that tested them, and that was Phoenix. But if you're a Warriors fan, there's every reason to be optimistic about next year. Uh, I am, I don't want to say I'm worried because I'm just more worried about my own team than the Warriors. Um, but I'm excited to see them again and potentially play them in the playoffs if we do. Hopefully not in the second round though, because that's going to be intimidating and nerve wracking and especially not in the first round. So I hope to not see the Warriors at all in the playoffs next season if we're lucky enough to make it again and they are the same. So, guys, that's everything I can think of. We're going to be coming out with a couple last basketball episodes now that this season's about to end, and then we're going to go to other sports and the history of the game. Please hit me up. Let me know what you thought of the episode and get to me with your feedback. Peace out. We got big things coming, guests coming in the summer. Enjoy. Later.